Well, Lord our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father, to learn from you, for you are our wonderful counselor, and to serve you, for you are our Almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord, and let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our series called I Love My Church. Uh, and every so often, uh, churches go through a season of rebirth. Uh, at a time when God is clearly leading the church uh, to become something new, something different, not just an improved version of itself, but actually a different version of itself. Uh, and that's where we are right now. Uh, it started when God gave our leadership a vision to become a river church, as we just prayed. Uh, that is a church that isn't satisfied with just gathering a crowd on Sundays. Uh, we want to go into our community. We want to love people, share the good news of Jesus. We want to make life better for our city. We want to plant new churches. And so we adopted Hillside Community Church in Roland Heights, which is now Trinity Church Roland Heights Campus. We gained, through that merger, we gained four congregations, a beautiful facility that's sitting on a five-acre property in a prime neighborhood. God has given us, man... This incredible opportunity. But to make the most of that opportunity, we need to go through a season of rebirth. We have to know what makes us special. We need to know what we need to work on. We have to reimagine what our church can be and what our church needs to be for our community. So that's going to require um, that we all have an open mind. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require resources and trust and commitment, hard work, and a whole lot of grace, <laughs> a lot of grace. Um, I'm probably going to annoy you more than I've ever annoyed you in the next while. Maybe you're like, yeah, amen to that, right? And a lot of patience and a lot of love. We're going to need all of that. God loves the church. He has Big dreams, high expectations for the church. And I pray that we also have high expectations for the church um, of God, of ourselves. And I pray that we will learn to love the church as Jesus loves the church. I want to, uh, each week we've been giving you a few updates of cool things that have been happening. Uh, we had Harvest Festival on Friday night, uh, which was awesome. Lots of people from both campuses and our community. This is what we believe, you know, we're not sure. The Lord may lead us in a different direction. But we believe that this uh, past Harvest Festival was the last time that we will do it in this form. And what we're thinking, uh, what the Lord is leading us to do is to try something different, which is uh, some other churches do. It's called Blocktober. Blocktober. Which is, uh, instead of having everyone come here, we take the party to the neighborhood. And so imagine next year, six or eight homes all around our city that are mini versions of the Harvest Festival that we push it out to our neighborhoods and bring it to where the people are. 
And people walk down the street and they're doing their normal, you know, trick-or-treating. They say, what is that over? There's like a party going on there. And you come over and we have like not maybe ten games, but maybe just like three, a smaller version of it. A little, you know, face painting. They can linger for a while and have some conversation. Maybe we have like some, uh, some hot chocolate for the parents that are taking their kids around. But imagine us being a river church. We're not expecting people to come to us. We go to where the people are. Right? So that's, that's exciting. It was an exciting evening. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, but we also look forward to where God might be taking us next. On the top right, you see some uh, people from our community engagement team, our local impact team. And what's happening here is they're receiving a, a certificate of recognition for being part of Family Promise, our homeless ministry, for five years. It's pretty exciting. We were one of the founding churches of the San Gabriel Network. Uh, bottom left, you'll see some, uh, some officers, personnel from our local police department where I serve as a police chaplain. Uh, and uh, this, this week, we had a meeting of our chaplains come together. And in November, we're going to be hosting an Area C meeting. That take, it's about eight different cities that come together, all the chaplains and the uh, lieutenants that are in charge of those programs and come. We talk about how we can serve our community together. So we're involved in that. In the bottom right, you see Eleanor Liu. And she, by now, uh, she got back, uh, sorry, um, dedicated this morning at our Roland Heights campus. Tim and Alex Liu uh, dedicated their uh, daughter to the Lord. And that's super exciting. That's why uh, there's a few people missing today. They went over there to visit that campus. By the way, if you have not visited our Roland Heights campus I highly encourage you to do so. Go check it out. Go see it. English service is at 10.15. If you want to check out the Spanish service, it's at 8.30. They have a Filipino service, which is in English, um, but it's, it's for the Filipino community. Um, and that happens at 3 o'clock. And, uh, and so they eat together afterwards, and it's awesome. So, uh, so it's, I go for the food. No, I go, I go for the community. It's not, I, go, I go for the Lord. But, um, but check it out. I mean, this is your church, right? It's all, it's all, we're all one church. So, so that campus belongs to all of us. You know, belongs to the Lord, belongs to all of us. Um, so I want, and we had also had a kids uh, ministry work day. If you go downstairs and look at the classrooms downstairs, they look great. Uh, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to paint. We're going to do fresh paint on all the walls down there. You're going to see some changes around our campus in the months to come. We're going to freshen everything up. Uh, and uh, Johnny Chang right over here has been uh, helping us think through some of those processes. This guy's a genius. Really appreciate your, your help, Johnny. Um, so God has, as I said, given us this unprecedented opportunity to, uh, to make an impact in people's lives. And uh, we have two campuses. That means we have two bases of operations. We have two outposts on opposite ends of the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, we used to be known as the Chinese Nazarene Church. Um, now we are one of the most diverse Nazarene churches on our district. In fact, we are one of the most diverse churches in our state. In fact, we are one of the most diverse Nazarene churches in our country. In fact, we are one of the most diverse <laughs> Nazarene churches in the world. Did you know that? And can I, can I be... Yeah! Right? But can I be frank with you? I, like, totally honest. I am both incredibly excited and scared out of my mind at the same time. Really. As I'm excited because there's no telling just how far God will take us. It's It's awesome. I believe God's going to blow our minds, but I'm also really scared um, because I know 
that as your pastor, um, I'm going to be asking you to dream bigger, and I'm going to be asking, uh, I'm going to be asking you to lay down more for the gospel um, than ever before. I'm going to be making some really, really big asks in the months to come. And it's not going to stop for a while. I will continue to make big asks for an extended season. And uh, I'm going to be asking you to give up time and energy, money, blood, sweat, tears for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom and for the sake of the people that he loves in this community, the lost and the broken and hurting. And I'm, I'm nervous and I'm scared. And I'm not, um, I'm not so much, I'm not scared to ask. And I'm not scared um, that you're going to say no to me. Uh, I don't like rejection any more than the next person, but that's not what this is about. I'm scared because if God is leading us to lay it all down for him, and if we refuse, and if we back out, if we back down, we will squander this incredible opportunity that he's given us. And the consequence of that is that people will not come to know the Lord. Lives are not going to change. Our city is not going to be one for Christ. Our church will fade away into, into insignificance. And everything that we have worked for and everything that God has handed to us will be lost. I'm scared that our faith will be tested and we will be found lacking. But to my fear, which I've had to wrestle with, you know, with God, to my fear and to your fear, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Because I'm with you. This was my idea. I am with you and, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to receive power to do everything I've asked you to do. Everything you ask for, you will receive. You will lack nothing. So don't shrink back. Nothing is going to be impossible for you. Don't be afraid. Get up and start walking. Well, I'm excited and I'm scared. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I just want to tell you, don't be surprised. I'm going to be making big asks. Big asks. And so here we go. All right? I'll be blunt. We're going to talk about money today. Um, because to take advantage of the incredible opportunities God has given us, we need resources. Uh, we have more ministries to run now. We have uh, more facilities to operate. We have more staff to oversee and all of that means we have, uh, of course, we have a bigger platform, um, and that's something to celebrate. We, we can reach more people, but yes, a bigger platform means a bigger budget, right? 
Now, if you're here for the first time, you haven't been coming very long, um, believe me, I'm not the guy who talks about money every Sunday. Okay? In fact, some people are saying, I don't talk about money enough. Um, and the reason, that it, the reason that talking about money is important is because money is a spiritual issue. Money is a spiritual issue. God cares about how we handle our money, which really is his money. Uh, there are over 2,350 verses in the Bible about money and possessions. Nearly half of Jesus' parables had something to do with money and possessions. One out of six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is about material possessions. Jesus spoke more about the issue of money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Money is a spiritual issue. And it's not because God wants to get our money. It's because he doesn't want our money to get us. Because when money becomes our God, that introduces a whole host of problems in our lives. How we handle money is an indicator of how well we understand the gospel. How we handle money is a measure of our spiritual maturity. How we handle money is a measure of how committed we are to Christ and His kingdom. Now notice I did not say how much you give to the church is a measure of your spiritual maturity. Notice I did not say that. That's not what this is about. Okay? What is a measure of our spiritual maturity is how we handle money. What is your relationship to money? What does it represent to you? What does it mean? What is your money good for? What is its role in your life? And it turns out Jesus has a lot to say about that. So we're going to read from Luke 15 today. Luke 15. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. and We're going to skim over Luke 15 and then we're going to bear down, uh, focus in on Luke 16. But in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. He tells a story, a parable, of, he says if, if a shepherd has a flock of a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, the, this, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go and look for that one sheep that is lost. And when he finds it, he will rejoice and say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He says if a, if a woman uh, loses a, a coin, she'll, she'll, a valuable coin, she will turn her house upside down and search until she has found it. And when she finds it, I found it. And she will rejoice over that. And he says that there's a story, he tells a story of a, of a man who has two sons. And, and one, the younger son uh, says, Father, I'll give me my inheritance early. I'm, I'm out of here. And he takes his, his half of the inheritance and he leaves, blows it all on wild living. And he, comes, he ends up working in a pig pen covered in excrement. He's got nothing to eat. There's a famine in the land. He, come, he says he swallows his pride and he comes crawling back home. And he says to his father, he says, I, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, just make me like one of your servants, like one of your hired hands. I'll work for my food. I don't deserve to be called your son. And the father just embraces him. He stinks. He stinks like pigs. And he embraces him. He throws a robe around him. He puts a ring on his finger. He throws him a feast. And he says, rejoice with me. My son has come home. 
rejoice with me. What is lost has been found. And so Jesus tells us these three stories because he wants to communicate to us what is important to God. What is the gospel? What is this good news that we talk about all the time? The good news is simply Jesus. Jesus is the good news. But more specifically, the good news is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you're confused, as the, you, know, so you may have heard the gospel phrase like uh, John 3.16, uh, that uh, whoever uh, puts his faith in Christ will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have eternal life. It's more than that. It's not about getting a ticket to heaven, right? Because at that time, here's how the gospel was understood. The, the Middle East was under Roman rule, and, the, and, the, and Caesar, the emperor, would send emissaries announcing to all of these towns and villages, rejoice, I bring good news, Caesar is Lord. And Caesar, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, we're going to come and we're going we're to change everything, we're going to fix it all, we're going to build roads and schools, and we're going to make life great for you. Oh, but by the way, you will be under Roman rule. You're going to lose your freedom, but... Hey, Rome is here. Caesar is Lord. And here comes Jesus and says, no, I am. And the early disciples would go around, and what is the gospel they would say? What's the, God, what's the good news? Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of heaven, not of Rome, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. What is the gospel? Jesus is Lord, and Jesus has come to find every lost son and daughter of God and bring them home. The good news is that Jesus is Lord, and he is restoring everything that is broken and messed up and wrong in this world, and he has invited and empowered his whole family, us, to join him in that work. The gospel is that Jesus, not Caesar, not Donald Trump, not Hillary Clinton, not Vladimir Putin, not Angela Merkel, not uh, Xi Jinping, but Jesus. Jesus is Lord. I, we need that news more than ever, right? Jesus is Lord. And what is Jesus' message? What is his agenda? What is his plan? What's his platform? He has come to proclaim, this is the year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of God is near. I come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned, people who are imprisoned by their sins and their shame and their past. I have come so that the blind, I may lift the cobwebs from your eyes so you can see the truth about God and yourselves. Jesus is Lord and his priority is you and you and you and you and you and me. Every lost son and daughter of God. You are what matters to God. You are what he rejoices over when you are found. 
Rob Bell says this, gospel, the good news, is the shocking, provocative, revolutionary, subversive, counterintuitive good news that in your moments of greatest despair and failure and sin, weakness, losing, failing, frustration, inability, helplessness, wandering, and falling short, God meets you there, right there, right exactly there, and in that place, he announces, I am on your side. Jesus tells us what is most important to God. And then he tells us a story about money. I want you to understand the context. He tells us all of that, and then he says, let me tell you something about money. In Luke 16, Jesus tells his disciples, there was this rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his, his possessions. Okay, very wealthy guy, and he has a manager. He's, he's, he's in charge of his collecting debts and things like that, he's, and he's wasting his possessions. So he calls him in and says, you're fired. Right? He says, uh, what is this I hear about you? He says, give, give an account of your management. You can't be a manager any longer. You're done here. And the manager says to himself, what am I going to do? What shall I do now? My, my master is taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig. Look at these arms, right? I, I, I'm not strong enough to dig. I, I'm ashamed to beg. I, how am I going to survive? So he goes, I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, I, I know what to do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. I have some place to stay. So he calls each one, uh, he calls in each one of his master's debtors, so the people who owe him money, and he asks the first, hey, how much do you owe my master? And uh, the, the first one says, well, 900 gallons of olive oil. And the manager says, well, okay, I'll take, your, take your bill, sit down quickly, just make it 450. And, and then he asks the second, but how much do you owe? He says, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he says, give me, give me, your, give me your bill, and let's make it 800. So he writes down their debt. So he comes back to the master, and the master finds out, and he, he, instead of criticizing him, rebuking him, he commends this dishonest manager, and he says, I see what you did there. Well played. He commends him. I think he's still fired. Right? <laughs> but you see, he's put the manager in a very difficult position. Because if the manager comes along and says, ignore what he said, right? You still owe me the full amount. Could you imagine if somebody like cuts your bill in half? How much is 900 gallons of olive oil worth at that? I don't know, a lot, right? He says, it's half. What do you, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to call up all your friends and say, God, you never believe what happened. Word spreads throughout our community. Oh my gosh, this, this rich man, he's so generous. He sent his manager to tell me Right? that the bill has been cut. And, and the other person with the bushels of wheat, same thing, right? Word spreads. So now, this, man, this rich man is in a tight spot. He can't back out. What is it, what's that? He's going to ruin his reputation, right? Create a lot of ill will. So he says, well played. See what you did there. And Jesus continues. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd 
in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. You know what money is, money is for? Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. I, Christine always teases me because when we go to the movies, you know, it says after a certain age that you've got to pay full price or when you go to like the buffet and it's like, and when I was young, you know, my parents would say, you're five, right? You're five. I was like 10. It's like, right? You're five. Shh, you're five, right? To, to save a few bucks. Whoever's dishonest with the little, I love my parents, right? Um, tends to maybe be dishonest with bigger things, right? What's your integrity worth? Is it worth $3? That's what, my, that's, that's what it was worth when I was saying people I was 10, right? Or 5. So, uh, if you've not trust and trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches, Jesus says. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? He says no one can serve two masters. He tells us this story, these three stories about what matters to God. He says, let me tell you something about money. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one, you're going to love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so let me tell you what money is good for. Money is good for making friends. Money is good for sowing goodwill, for relationships. You can't take... You know, he, Jesus tells this story to contrast who, what the world cares about and what God cares about and how we ought to view money. What is the purpose of money? You can't take it with you when you die. You, you, you can't eat it. You can't wear it. To have any value, money must be exchanged for what you really want. It's just currency. The only useful thing you might be able to do with money other than exchange it for goods and services, the only useful thing you could do with it is burn it. If you were like stuck in the middle of a snowstorm and like dying because it was cold and you need a fire, you could burn it, right? That's pretty much the only thing. But it has no inherent value. The only value is in what can be traded for. And shrewd people, Jesus, they know that. Shrewd people know that. They know your money does no good to you sitting in a bank account. Eventually it has to be traded for something, right? And so shrewd people understand that money is like a seed of grain. You can do two things with grain. You can grind it up and you can, you can use it up for an immediate need to satisfy your belly, right? Or you can plant it and bring forth a crop. Both uses are legitimate, right? In the same way money can be burned up, can be used up right away to satisfy an immediate need, food, shelter, uh, buy a TV, right? I can use it up. Or I can sow it. I can invest it to bring forth a greater harvest. I can invest in my education, for example. Right? I'm not burning it up. I'm investing it. I will get a greater harvest because of that. Right? 
Or I can put it into real estate, which will maybe grow and have a return. I can use it to fund causes that I believe will make a difference in people's lives. I can sow it. So money is like grain. I can use it up or I can sow it for the future. What is your relationship with money? What do you use it for? And a Christian understands that the best use of money is to spend it on gaining friends to bless them, to meet their needs, to show them uh, goodwill. Why do we do that? Because when I do that, when I'm generous with people, what am I doing? I'm showing them this is what God looks like. God is a giver. God is generous. God cares about you. How do I know he cares about you? Because he told me to meet your needs. Do you understand the best possible use of our money is to use it to earn goodwill with people, to build a bridge to Jesus so that we build that goodwill and trust and friendship and so that when we go to heaven, we will be warmly welcomed. By who? By all of the lives that we touched, all of the people that we helped to know the Lord will be there and say, thank you for trading your money for me. We trade our money for souls. Does that make sense? John Fong is our youth pastor right now. He is at doing youth church. They do this twice a month. They're all over it at uh, Jeff Cow's house. And uh, they are having a great time. They have a service. They, they eat together. They play together. Last time, I think, Eli didn't come home until like 9.30 at night. I'm like, what did you do all day? It's like the funnest. He's got a huge backpack full of stuff. Right? When he leaves the house this morning, I'm like, what is all that stuff? He's like, I'm going to youth church. Because it's all the stuff he's going to play with like afterwards, like hang out with them, all his, all his trading cards and all of that stuff. It's like the best. But the, the service itself is, is quite powerful, very special, very innovative. And I like to use some of those innovations in what we do here. But John, Pastor John, has this tendency to spoil the youth like crazy. He's, he takes them out for boba. He takes them out for fried chicken you know, and, and like the good stuff, like the Korean fried chicken or the, the, you know, the Japanese fried chicken, expensive places. He spoils them. Like, why do you do this? He says, because I want them to know how much they're loved because this is how we build relationships. Some of them don't get to eat stuff like that very often, right? So he probably uses... I mean, thousands of dollars. I don't even count. He doesn't even turn those receipts in. But he just lavishes love on those kids. That is the spirit of this verse. Trading money for souls. Right? So we have three things that we can invest in God's kingdom. We have our time. We have our talents. We have our treasures. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. In terms of our time and our talents. How we serve. But we also have treasure. And what is treasure? What is money? Money is simply the valuation of our time and our talents, right? What is, what is 40 hours of your time worth and the accumulation of all your education and experience? Well, that equals your treasure, right? Somebody trades money for what you have to offer. When it comes to money, there are four principles that always apply, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Same, same principles apply. Giving... Money is always spiritual. You can't be a wholehearted follower of Jesus unless you understand that money is a spiritual issue. Money should be viewed the same way that we view prayer and serving in ministry and going to church and reading the Bible. It is part of our spiritual life. God cares about how we handle money. Secondly, we should be practicing spontaneous giving. 
when a need comes before us, uh, the, the spirit tugs at our hearts and we say, all right, I'll do it, I'll fund it. The other day, uh, we, uh, we learned of an opportunity. We get to host a missions conference over at our other campus. Um, and there's going to be probably about 100 people in attendance. And we got to serve lunch. Well, our church budget is tight. Somebody in the church said, I will pay for lunch for every single person there. That was a spontaneous, generous act. That's spontaneous giving. Uh, another couple in our church found out that somebody needed a car. Uh, there was a, a mom who needed a car. And they said, we'll give her our car. Um, and they just gave it. Gave it away. That's spontaneous giving. Um, when we have missions trips, when you're out, when you hear the youth are going on a missions trip and you give that spontaneous giving. But we should also give uh, strategically. In other words, systematically, ongoing. My family, we give online electronically to the church um, and it just, you know, twice a month. It just, it goes and we get a little receipt. Um, but we make sure there's never a Sunday where we miss. Um, and we also believe in tithing. A tithe, the word literally tithe means 10%. If you're giving 1% of your income, that's not tithing. That's giving, but it's not tithing. Tithing literally means a tenth. Right? Uh, and so we believe that a, ten a tenth of our income is a good place. It's a good benchmark to start with. Now, for some of you, that might um, seem like a lot. Um, but I just want you to know that I don't ask anything of the church that we don't practice ourselves. Okay? Uh, we started with 10% several years ago. And each year, we ask the Lord to give us faith to give more, even whether our income increases or not. Which is to say, so now we're up to maybe 13%. Uh, we, we gave away, we're, by the end of the year, we'll have given away $10,000 as a family. Okay? I tell you that not to brag, but to be transparent. I want you to know, I believe in this church. We give to this church. This is our home. This is our ministry. Right? Um, there's an American, one of our American values is small government. Right? We talk about that a lot. Small government and low tax rates. But what's interesting is that, um, so we, we believe in small government, we believe in low tax rates, but we also believe as Christians in the elimination of poverty, don't we? Right? And so if we believe, okay, small government, they're not going to do, we don't believe the government should do that, that's our job, right? We should be giving spontaneously, right, as Christians. Well, then you should, you should see in terms of our generosity and our giving patterns that we should, Christians should be the most generous people in the world, right? If we, if we believe that, Right? Uh, we shouldn't be hoarding our wealth. We should be sharing it. But a lot of American Christians um, hardly give anything to charity. Uh, only 5%, 5% of American Christians give a tithe to their church, give 10%. Only 5%. Right? So if you're in that 5%, thank you. Because it makes a difference. Right? Um, when we reject the this American... You know, pursuit of, of more and more and more and better, we reject that, then we become focused on how we can give more, not how we can get more. So giving should be strategic. Are you giving systematically, intentionally? Are you thinking about it, or are you just waiting until the, the mood strikes you? Right. Is this, for us, it's the first line item in our family budget, our giving. Um, lastly, we should practice sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Uh, someone uh, wanted to donate to cover the cost of the roof on the other campus. We need a new roof. $27,000. They gave us a check and said, take care of it. We were going to fundraise. <laughs> and they said, no, we just feel the Lord is, is leading us to do that. Uh, some of you maybe have uh, assets, real estate. Uh, maybe you have like a, a, 
an extra home that you don't need, and you could just sell it and donate all the pro- like all the proceeds to the church. And if you think that's crazy, read the Book of Acts. That was normal in the early church. That was common, right? For people to sell an entire piece of property and donate a hundred percent of the proceeds to the church. That was normal, right? So I'm not I'm not asking anything that I think is out of the ordinary. Um, Christine and I have a, a $1 million life insurance policy. Okay, I got it when I was younger, so it doesn't cost too much. Um, but Christine and I have been talking about what would happen if I died. What percentage of that would go to the church? The figure I have in my head is, is 10%. So if I were to pass away unexpectedly, there would be a check to the church for $100,000. What if, what if we all said 10% of our, my estate will go to the work of God? I'm not saying Trinity per se. That's wonderful if this is your home. But what if 10%, at least minimum 10% of your estate is earmarked for the work of God after you pass away? This is, this is what I mean about kingdom thinking. And for some of you, 10% might, be, might not be a whole lot. Right? Maybe, maybe you could give more. Um, so I'm asking the church, think about the way that you, get, you handle money. Do you give spontaneously, strategically, sacrificially? How can we set up uh, an after-school program, for example? How can we serve the, the, the poor in our city? If we had more resources, we could pay off the mortgage on the other campus. Uh, I think it's about $670,000 right now, uh, give or take. Uh, but it, the property is worth millions. And this... this uh, Roland Heights Church, they, they gifted us the property. We, you know, people put lots of blood, sweat, and tears into that property. They trust us so much. They said, here, we gift it to you. It comes with a mortgage, but it's a fraction of what it's worth. Right? Um, but we could pay that off. Uh, we can do a facelift of our campuses. We could set up an endowment, set up a dream fund uh, to fund special projects, missions, outreach, new church plants, uh, invest in the next generation. We could do a lot if we had the resources. And so the money is there. The money is out there. Um, we just have to release it for God's purposes. So the question is, what does it mean to be generous? What does generosity look like for you? For some, but for one person, $100 is hugely generous. That's a big sacrifice. For somebody else, that's a drop in the bucket. And we are called to be generous. Generous givers. So what does that look like for you? That is between you and the Lord. Some of you, um, some of us have been very successful in life. We, maybe you got a raise or a better position or, or more education or more opportunities. And there's a Chinese proverb that basically says that we are like, we are like reeds. You know those like big cattail reeds that like they have those, you know. And what happens when it rains? They get really heavy, right? And they start to bow. And so the Chinese proverb is, the more that you have been watered, the more that you've been blessed, the more you must bow, the more you must be humble and become a servant. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Have that picture in your mind. How much has God showered blessings on you? That is how low you must become as a servant. So we're going to close with a, with a quick conversation. Uh, we desire to become a church of 
the city. In Acts 2.42 to 47, we read this beautiful description of the early church, how they devoted themselves to the teaching uh, and to fellowship, and they broke bread, and they had performed signs and wonders, and all the believers were together, and they would sell property and, uh, and give to anyone that they had need. And it says that every day the believers would continue to meet in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and praised God, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That is a significant phrase to me. That just jumps out at me. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. They had an amazing reputation. So my question to you is how did they do that? How did that happen? Was it just like the Holy Spirit went and zapped everybody and says, hey, I want you to like these people? Or was there something that they did to build that bridge? I mean, surely it had to do something with the fact that, that the message that they had, that they gave, sounded like good news to people. It didn't sound like judgment and condemnation. It sounded like genuine good news to people who are starving for hope. Surely their reputation had something to do with the fact that they became a place of refuge and radical hospitality, that Jews, Gentiles, everyone was welcomed. Surely they had a good reputation. That's something to do with the fact that they would sell their possessions and give the people who were in need. Surely they must have made their community better. Jeremiah 29.7 says that we are to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which God has placed us. And that's, in that context, it was uh, people of Israel and Babylon Uh, in exile in Babylon, pray to the Lord for your city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so my question is this. In January, late January, we are going to do a relaunch, a reintroduction of our church to our community. We're going to do a 40-day campaign, six weeks roughly, uh, and it's going to be 40 days of love, 40 days of friendship, 40 days of community. I haven't Settled on the name. It's going to be one of those things. But 40 days of engagement with our community. 40 days of love. 40 days of we care about you. And so if we were to gather in groups of seven or eight people, half from the church, half from the community, and we were to challenge you to spend six weeks getting to know the city. Six weeks... um, getting to know the na- your neighbors, letting people know, hey, our church is in touch with our community. We know what's what. We know what's going on, and we care. And you know what? We have some ideas on how we can make things better, how we can help. What would you do? If you had... Uh, the goal of this campaign, I hope, is that we can make friends. We w- Here's what we were going to do. We were going to say, okay, let's all start small groups and invite your friends over for a Bible study. That's what a lot of churches do. But you know what? You know what a common refrain was? I don't have any friends. I don't know anybody. I don't know who I would invite. All my friends are church people. Um, okay, that's a problem. Right? How, how, and not only that, if you've been with us for any length of time, you'll start to figure out this church is full of a lot of introverts. Right? Especially that pastor guy. I, I am... The hugest introvert. I don't know if you know this about me, but it takes a lot of work and energy and like psyching myself up for Sunday to like say hi to people and greet them because inside I'm like, 
What if they don't like me, right? What if, what if I say the wrong thing? Right? This is who I've been all my life. Um, and I know many of you are like that too. So the idea of, of inviting people to your home for a Bible study, honestly, is a little intimidating. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend six weeks making friends and learning how to make friends. Um, so how does a church of introverts make friends and engage its community and, and build that bridge? I want you to, to do something. We're going to close here. I want you to spend five minutes, and I want you to brainstorm some ideas. What could we do to get to know our community? If we got together, because you know what the thing about introverts is, is we're okay with doing that as long as we don't have to do it by ourselves and we kind of go together, right? So, so if you were to gather six or seven, eight people, and get to know our community, and you're going to do this five or six times over six weeks, maybe once a week, you do, you do something, right? What could you do? So go ahead, spend five minutes, and just start, just start talking about ideas, and then shout them out, and we'll end there, okay? All right, go ahead. Thank you for engaging in that conversation for a little bit. I really appreciate it. Um, I was hoping to have more time, but I ended up uh, going a little over time in the first part. But uh, just shout out, what, are some, what were some of your ideas? Over here, uh, Raphael talked about going to, uh, watching a sporting event. And we thought, well, what, how about a local high school? Just going to watch the local high school football game, you know, and cheering people on. Well, what are some other ideas? Have you heard of the site called Meetups? Uh, what? Meetups. Meetups. What's that? A common interest, yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Just create a meetup. Okay. So there's an app on your phone. I'm repeating what you say for the sake of the recording. So I'm not weird. <laughs> but that's, that's awesome. So good. What else? Okay, open air concert, right? Yeah, people. Hopefully, they, they enjoy the noise and not complain about it. But, but yeah, I mean, just just being a little more visible because we have that wall on the front. You can't see what's going on. So maybe if we did something in this parking lot, people could see. But but I like I love the idea. Just like open air. Yeah. What else? Ranch market. What about the ranch market? Oh, I see. Yeah, so reach out at the market. Yeah, excellent. Great. Yes? I think similar to the website, you can just get a lawnmower and you want to share it with your neighbors rather than anybody having a lawnmower. Ah, okay. These are all the things you can share. Okay, so there's a website where you can share possessions on your block, like I have a lawnmower, I got a weed whacker, and that kind of thing. Yep, good. What other idea? I love this. This is awesome. What else? How do we make friends? And, and how do we get to know our community? Uh, I've got a couple of other th- ideas to share. Maybe uh, attend a city council meeting together. Did you know hardly anybody shows up? But if eight of you show up, they're going to go, why are you here? And then they're going to, and I bet every single one of the council members will come up and shake your hand at some point because they're going to think you must have something you're not happy about. You get to know them all if you go together. If you go by yourself, they'll ignore you. But if you go like 10 of you at once, they will notice, right? 
And it's really cool because once you get to know one or two council members, you start to really get to know what's going on in the community. I get an e-newsletter from uh, Teresa Real Sebastian, one of our council members, and it helps me keep informed. Um, you could uh, go to the local library or community center and pick up one of their little brochures for all the classes that they're going to say, you know what, let's all take this Zumba class together. I bet you we'll meet some really interesting people, right? Or the senior center, the Langley Senior Center would be a great place to go. So you could, you could do that. Any other ideas? What else could you do? Anyone in the back have a good idea? Ivy, you know our community. How did you, how did you end up doing that? You just did it right here, right now. That's awesome. Yeah. Someone in the back? Get a taco man. Get a taco man? Yeah. Get a taco man, park him in front of your house, and say free tacos. You will be the most popular guy on your block. Right? Yeah. We can really be creative about this, and that's what we're encouraging you to do. Find out, um, like, where do people hang out in this city? What are the hot spots? Uh, where, and, and what kinds of people hang out there? Um, a couple months ago, I was standing in front of City Hall, and there were like 300 people just walking around. And, and I was like, what is going on? And then I noticed they all had their phones, and they were all doing this. Right? It was a Pokemon training gym, or what, what do you call it? Pokemon Go Red. And so like, all these people were there. Now it's dead. I guess the app is not popular anymore. Um, you could uh, go to a local school and find out if there's a Friends of the School Association. Is there anything we can do to serve, uh, partner with you? Um, if you have a th something that you do regularly, like I know one of our life groups has a Scrabble Club, just take that and do it in public. Just do it in a, in a public cafe so that there's a chance that somebody might stop by and, and ask, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, I like Scrabble. Can I play? All right, so uh, if you do laundry, we all do laundry, right? Um, how about, even if you have a laundry machine at home, don't do your laundry at home. Take it to the laundromat and do it there because as you're doing it, you're going to meet people. Right? So lots and lots of creative things that we can do. And um, we are looking for people who are willing to head up those groups. Right? So let's say Devin and Janine say, okay, we'll head up a group. We're going to get like three people from church and we're going to gather three people from the community. And for six weeks, we're just going to get out and, and get out of the house. Right? Instead of staying at home at night, get out of the house. Find out what's going on in our city. And we're going to have a, a really good time doing it. Right? So I'm going to need people like them. Right? I'm going to need at least 10, 10 different groups. So Molly and Abner, maybe you guys might be interested in doing it. Um, at, and I, we will come to you and we will say, would you be willing to lead a group of people for six weeks to go and get to know our community? Right? It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. It's not going to be scary, intimidating. We're not going to ask you to like you know, uh, lead people through a study of the book of James or something like that. Some of you have that gift, right? But for most of you, uh, that, that is, is difficult for you. Right? But we, and there will be maybe one or two sessions where we say, okay, bring people into your home um, and uh, we have a short little uh, maybe video from one of our pastors just talking about relationships and talking about community. Kind of introduce them to the idea of being part of a community of faith. But for the most part, you are just going to have a blast getting to know our city and loving on our, on our neighbors. Sound good?